Welcome to the Awakening Shalom Podcast. The Awakening Shalom Podcast is an opportunity for digital faith formation at Myers Park Baptist Church that accompanies the Awakening Series, a year-long journey of exploration and discernment which invites all people to come learn about the current social justice issues of the day and how they impact our faith. What we are awakening to is Shalom, the Hebrew word for the peace and beauty that exists when we are living in right relationship with God, ourselves, other human beings, and all created things. Welcome back to Awakening Shalom. We are in our third episode of the podcast series. I'm spiritual, but not religious. Mm. I am Mia McLean, and I'm back here with... Ben. <laughs> last episode, <laughs> last episode, we had a special guest, Artemis Elias. Wow. And she blew my mind. She Drop was phenomenal. Some knowledge. Yes, right. yes. And Artemis, she, man. she told Ooh. her life story, sort of how she got to this church and mm. sort of the, the ways in which that related to our conversation. But she also blew my mind with some other things that I'll get to related to the stats that we were quoting off that yeah. may be skewed or uh, may have been misread or mispresented, which is important because sometimes we read these articles on, you know, Time Magazine or Washington Post, and they'll be like, 67% of Americans said this, and that's not yeah. actually what was asked of them. Yeah. Um, and so that's interesting to read the fine print. I'm learning to read the fine print. <laughs> she surveys out. don't always give you the re- – they, they are often skewed to give you the results that the survey researchers want to provide, or they, they read into the data more than is really there. Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to get into that. All right. Uh, but before, I just want to, you know, open up with some stories as usual. We're talking about our interactions with people who say mm. that they're spiritual but not religious. Yes. And so I was doing a wedding about a week ago, and, <laughs> yeah. and you know, the, the bride and the groom are spiritual. But not <laughs> religious. Just, okay, wow. Which is totally fine. I mean, Good for them. I've, I've, she was my roommate in college and in New York for many years, and so I've always yeah. known this about her race Catholic, really not into the Catholic Church, but like mm-hmm. really wanted a spiritual ceremony. And so we worked together. Uh, she, the groom, and I worked together on the ceremony to make sure that it was palpable for the people in yeah. the in the audience. Um, it was very spiritual, but not churchy. Right. And people <laughs> people came up to me after the ceremony, like, oh, my God, I love that. I don't go to church at all, but I'd go to your church because it was so whatever, you know, you know Californians will yeah. buy anything. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, that was so interesting to me. I, we were going as we were going through some of the liturgy before the wedding. There was a part in maybe my opening that talked about how Jesus brought wine out of water at the wedding in Cana. And they were like, yeah, so we don't really know what that means. So and I don't think our families really know what that means. So let's just (laughs) take that out. That's totally fine. You know, I have a a script that I have compiled from various traditions. um, So anyway, funny story about SBNR. And also, there was a youth yesterday in one of our classes who was talking about how faith is not necessarily religious. Very profound eighth grader, um, and we were talking I about what faith right. meant. I actually think that's right. Yeah, I yeah. mean, he's one of our own. So, well, of course, <laughs> only the only the most brilliant come up through the ranks at Myers Park Baptist Church. Yeah, I think that's really. I was. It's funny because I was just kind of arguing, or I guess just kind of commending somebody today that trusting another human being is an act of faith mm. because you never truly ever know. If you are, if you can trust that person, like right now, you don't know what they're saying about you, doing mm-hmm. your loved ones. They may be telling you one thing, doing another. You could, every day you trust them is an act of faith. Mm-hmm. So you could, I mean, you could call that religious, but everybody's doing it. Yeah, I mean, you, know, you get in your football. car. Yeah, football. <laughs> you know, you get in your car in the morning. You you have mm-hmm. faith that it's going to get you to work, and you're not going to get in a car accident. And I mean, you're. We live on this in, in this. Yeah. Uncertainty, I guess, is the way. Yeah. I mean, I was on the on the plane and, and it was some turbulent moments uh-huh. and I was <laughs> praying. I got really <laughs> churchy on the plane. Yes. But you have to have faith when you're in the air. I mean, there's literally nothing I could do to save myself if something were to go right. crazy. This is where that old cliche comes from. There's no atheists in the foxhole or mm. no atheists in the on the plane when yeah. it's going down at yeah. the end. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of atheists, mm. hmm. should we talk about atheists? What do you think? We should talk about atheists. We <laughs> I, love atheists. I love atheists. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I read all the atheists. 
especially Kierkegaard, I mean, especially Nietzsche, who's my favorite atheist of all uh-huh. time, who I am constant dialogue with. What does it mean? Let's let's break it down. So we okay. talk about atheist. So so it comes from a Greek root, yeah. right? A means not or without, mm-hmm. without. and then theos. Theism. Yeah. These are non-theists. Yeah. So they they mean that they do not believe that the world is um, is shot through with with a metaphysical. I I think it's this is a hard one because it's is it that they don't think the world is sacred hmm. and divine, or is it that they don't? Because theos can mean a lot of things. It doesn't necessarily mean like a single deity out in the sky somewhere with a long flowing beard and all that. It can mean <laughs> it can mean a universal cosmic force, mm-hmm. source of existence, um, me- metaphysical entity, non-entity, power, mm-hmm. uh, life force, like the force in Star Wars, which you know got a lot of its stuff from yeah. you know Jungian psychology and other things. Um, yeah, or is it like something that the that the, that the earth itself is not shot through with sacred meaning? That it's all is it is it mm. material? Is atheism totally materialist? That's a question for me. Mm. Um, do they believe nothing is sacred, or or um, that there is no divinity? I I was always under the impression that it was really about sort of a oneness, a one one person or one being yeah. the not believing in the oneness of that or the manyness but of But an gods. atheist would also not believe in many gods. Right, right. Hmm. hmm. <laughs> well, uh, maybe you'll have an atheist on the podcast. You can we, ask we what they will believe. next week. But I think one of the things that's interesting about atheism versus agnostic mm-hmm. is that agnostics kind of say, we and uh, human beings can't really know. Right. It's unknow. It's unknowable. It's a yeah, yeah, non-knowable. Yes. Um, which is very different than saying it doesn't exist. Like, I don't is, know if it exists, yeah. or we will never know. Yeah. Will we ever? It's very philosophical. <laughs> Agnosticism right. is very philosophical. Like, do will we ever know if so, there is a? Interestingly, God. the early church communities were accused of being atheists by the Romans. It's one of the major accusations mm. that Pliny the Younger and other early critics of the church make to the Roman authorities is that they are and, – and they what they mean by it is that they are non-theists related to Roman piety and mm. pietas as I've talked about in sermons mm-hmm. and the Roman gods and also the emperors that the Romans thought were gods. So the whole cult is written is, – it's all about – it's the gods plus the emperor plus Rome itself and all of its history written together. So in some cases, I've heard some really. Um, I think I'm trying to think of who who does this now. Um, there's a there's a thinker that's a um, that's written a, a couple of books on this. I'll look it up in just a minute. But um, who says that Christians in America should be atheist toward mm. the other theisms that are that are that have are are trying to attack or dilute or pervert Christianity in America? So they should be atheists of the empire god of american nationalism and imperialism they should be atheists against because that's what they that's why the early church was accused of that because they were non-imperial they refused the emperor cult and they were saying that doesn't exist that's not a real thing that's That's not not real yeah yeah and that there's only they would say there's only jesus we speak in jesus name Mm -hmm. you know we preach in jesus name there's jesus you killed him he god raised him tough that's it you know that's interesting that you say that so if we were to be atheist christians Atheist Christians, yes. <laughs> we would resist any sort of urge or temptation to be right. influenced by any other theism or any other any theisms that were that that could not that were in I guess direct contrast or huh. to the teachings of Jesus or so this but then you would also have to say okay so wait a second what about um, you know, uh, are there good things about the culture that you can affirm that are in line mm-hmm. with the teachings of Jesus? Um, and uh, how do you prevent all things from perverting your Christianity? How do you? How can you be atheist against everything but Christianity when there are so many other possible yeah. religions? There's the religion of consumerism, of American right. nationalism, entertainment, right. sports. But you can try your hardest. <laughs> you can try. And I think – well, I think it's uh, – there's also kind of a separation. It's almost like the separation of church and state. There's this desire to prevent or to, to protect some kind of 
some kind of Christianity that is not perverted mm-hmm. by the imperial culture at the time. I think this is fascinating because I'm remembering when I was doing my clinical pastoral education at a hospital, two of my cohort members were Orthodox Jews, and they Mm. um, would not enter into the chapel while a Christian service was going on. And I was like, you know, ushering them in, like, come on in. (laughs) They were like, no, 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 no. And I I didn't (laughs) didn't understand because I had only really grown up around Reformed Jews. And some conservative Jews will come to worship service. They don't don't care. Um, or that's not something that's a, a, a line for them. Mm. But they, these particular, mo- they were modern Orthodox, so probably the extreme liberal of the Orthodox in um, would not come in. And I guess the understanding was that it would pervert their understanding of their faith by partaking in yeah. that sort of worship. Right. Um, so sort of acting atheist towards anything other than the, the form of Judaism that right. they that they practice. So this actually, I think, I love that point. That's very interesting because that would lead to some, I think, some conservative and moderate folks where they get anxious about SBNR folks mm-hmm. uh, is not just because the church is in decline because they're praying at home, right? Right, right. Uh, or in the mountains or right. doing yoga. It's that um, there is, within communities of practice, there are at least enough guidelines I don't know what else you would call them, touchstones, a history, I guess I would say a tradition of wrestling with texts and stories and people's beliefs, whereas they can more easily sniff out than we can as individuals. As a community, they can more easily sniff out things that we should be atheist toward, that are other kinds of religion that are creeping in to try Mm -hmm. to steal us away or to take our are uh, are the teachings of Jesus and turn them into something that they were not. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, without a tradition, how do you prevent against just making it up every year? You know, you wake and up I, in the morning and you decide this is what Jesus means. And I think that people are afraid of that. That there's a there's just danger that yeah. comes along with this crisis. They're not really thinking of the crisis in terms of you know, moral society or political society. They're thinking of in like they're feel they're feeling threatened right, by these right. people who could just do whatever they want and it's and gonna think encroach. whatever they want. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And so uh I would say in that though, uh we haven't done a good job even with our traditions of preventing Christianity from being co opted by the Empire. But that being said, I can see where the fear comes from. I mean we've had all the mm-hmm. we've had all the tradition we've needed around Christianity in America. Mm-hmm. But we've we've now got a rootless white supremacist dominant faith in America. And that is so not what Jesus taught that it's hard to look at it and say that tradition helped us any. Yeah. 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 Um, or you could, somebody could argue, like I, I could imagine like a rooted Orthodox thinker saying, well, actually the reason that we got to where we were is because evangel- evangelicalism in America is, was derooted from tradition. But, of course, it's not just American evangelicals that have been co-opted. No, so it's across it's, the world. The G12 movement, I mean, it's across. It, go, it yeah, spans out. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, an atheist could argue like, hey, look, um, I'm atheist against uh, Christianity because you can't distinguish your Christianity from all these other things that are terrible, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I, you know, or also look at all the violence. One of the big arguments is always look at what the violence done in the name of yeah. Religion and in the name of God mm-hmm. or in the name of uh Yeah. Jesus you know. or whatever. Yeah. I don't think that that's necessarily the religious problem. I think that's related to, you know, religion mixing with political ambitions mm-hmm. and violence. I think violence is the mm-hmm. problem and people will use all kinds of things to justify violence. Yeah. Right? There's another term that kind of falls under this category when we're talking about SBNR that gets thrown around and that's yeah. secular. Secularists. Secularisms, Um, yes. So I did a little research, (laughs) and apparently it has a Latin root, but in order to get to English, it came through the French. Yeah. And so the French word, I may be mispronouncing this. I Mm. I don't speak French very well. Is it siècle? (laughs) Siècle? That that might be right. (laughs) It means century. (laughs) Century. Interesting. Um, But basically, it, it has evolved to mean the present world. Uh-huh. As opposed to the seclusion of monastic oh, religious life, okay. so yeah, you yeah. had monasticism, 
And then you had the people and the clergy who weren't doing that. They were secular. They were clergy who were secular clergy. They weren't monastic clergy. They were secular. And so that has, of course, evolved to mean not religious at all, even right. though that's, that's not right. quite what it is. But, but not quite what the word yeah. meant. They were separating. Yeah, religious meant that religious for a long time meant you were in an order. Right, right. You were in a religious order. So you were a Dominican or you were a Benedictine or right. you were a Trappist. You were one of those. Then there were secular. They were not in an order, but they were still. They were still clergy. Clergy. Well, they were priests of the empire. Yeah. Yes. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Which some religious orders also were too. But Mm -hmm. they were, yeah, they were separated in that they were serving. And working They were serving the the state. Yeah. And serving the people, but they were not necessarily working within a religious order themselves. That's very interesting. I mean, Charles Taylor is a philosopher who uh, writes on the secular age. Mm. And he has a great book on this that's a a long tome, uh, but there's an even uh, shorter – Summary book written by Jamie Smith that helps kind of get at what Charles Taylor's grand thesis is. And um, I can't give it to you right now, but I, I can recommend the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but it talks about what, what, what the living in a secular age has meant for religious traditions. Hmm. Um, I remember one of the quotes that uh, – and Jamie Smith talks a lot about atheists and, and religious folks and how they're actually a lot closer than they think they are. Mm. And he quotes from a novel. I'm going to get the novel wrong, but where the author starts out the novel saying, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? That is. I don't believe in God, but I miss him. Um, and he talks about how there's this, I guess what, here, one, all right, now it's coming back to me. One of Taylor's the- thesis is that we are haunted by religion even in a secular mm. age. And that hauntedness does two things. One, it causes us to invest religious significance, sacred significance into things that are m- mostly material. So mm. <laughs> we could go on and on about that. Yeah. The economy, the, yeah. f- the free hand of the market. That's a religious idea. Come mm-hmm. on, people. There's no free hand out there. I mean, um, whose hand is it, right? Um that's a metaphysical concept. Um, it also causes us to be in this sort of constant sense of longing for something that we don't have. Mm. And so you think about like the terms like the Christ-haunted South, where you drive through the South and you can't help but see 100,000 churches every yeah. block. And yet nowadays you wonder, does anybody even go there? Right, right. I mean, they look like nobody's been there in 20 years. Right. A lot of them. They're just buildings. They're yeah. not even communities anymore. Um, so there's this kind of Christ-hauntedness of the South. Um, there's this Christ-hauntedness of the whole. But there's also just this religious haunting that mm-hmm. we all kind of experience this. And so we're constantly creating these um, new ways to sort of do religion differently. Right. We. <laughs> right? I mean, we have – we go to yoga. Are we? I mean, right. that's you right. know, that's like the, the boom of sort of um, – Meditation, Meditation, mindfulness. Yoga. Yep. Um, I mean, I would, you're going you're gonna to not like me for this breweries, <laughs> breweries. Yes. I love you for saying that they're religious. I love that. Uh, I mean, you it know, it's a religious it's, activity. It's, they're popping up in the, with the speed in Charlotte that churches used to pop up. <laughs> so the interesting thing about breweries, I want to mention that because I've talked, we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast before, like what's the future of the church look like it, you know, beer was something that religious orders created mm-hmm. And now you can go across places in Europe and there are different religious orders and they make their money oh, for right. their community by their having beer. a product, yeah. a beer, or yeah. they make cheese, or they mm-hmm. make chocolate, or they make something. That's their thing. That's their work. Because yeah. they have to have something to do. They don't just pray all day. They pray six times a day. And then they make chocolate the rest of the time or oh. beer. And then they sell that. And mm-hmm. that's what keeps the order sustained. Mm. You know, They are contributing to the culture. That's true. So they're even even they're not just kind of secluded. I mean, they're a part of right. It was never commercialism so, or they were capitalism. Nev- there's never been this completely set apart community. Even like think about even Mormons and Mennonite, even Mennonites and Amish and mm. Pennsylvania Dutch created a culture, created a product, yeah. created participated in in. They may have refused parts of the economy that they didn't want to participate in clothing, these kind of things, and made their own stuff. But they had they had products. You can mm-hmm. buy, you can buy candles. You can buy 
Pennsylvania Dutch plates that are mm-hmm. you know, hand-drawn. and I mean all these different things that are contributions to the culture that didn't – meant that they were not completely secluded. Right. But right. they had decided that they would fully resist certain kinds of practices and uh, forms of the culture. But right. they could – you can't really completely abandon it. Hmm. Um, this is interesting. You know – so the so the new church is going to meet at breweries so now. We've decided. Well, or they're no, or they're going to create a brewery and there'll be monks that serve you your beer because they will be living there. They the brewers will be the monks. They will live there. They will pray together. They will live in community and then they will serve you your beer. Mm. I can get down with this if this were distillery. I think I can really get down with this. I just can't get down with okay, the beer thing, but listen, I'll, you know, I'll let it go. I'll let it go. The winery is, the wine, the wine tasting rooms are just as bad as the breweries. It all depends on what neighborhood you're in. And, and the distilleries, they're all the same. It's, I guess. It's really about a place for people to connect. This right, is, it right. Comes it's back to community, community which yeah. we'll get to, we'll come back to later. Yes. Um. So you were, you were bringing some stuff up that kind of sparked my interest. We have not touched on nuns yet. You brought this up yes, a while ago nuns. and I'm like what is what is this I, I well, thought you meant nuns like N-U-N and then <laughs> there's nuns and then there's duns so let me do oh, both so nuns N-O-N-E-S yes and then duns <laughs> not nuns as N-U-N-S I know we we have to distinguish this when we're talking about religious orders but alright so I think there's a crossover overlap between SBNR and nuns but yes. right now if you were to ask there has been a survey that was done that didn't ask as many leading questions as some of the ones you referenced but yes. Basically, it just said, um, are you religious – are you religiously affiliated? And they gave you an opportunity to choose which religious affiliation. And one of the things on the list of religious affiliations like Catholic, Baptist, mm-hmm. Methodist, the last one was none, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. More Americans now identify as none than any major religious denomination in America. Hmm. So more than more than Muslim, more than Catholic, more than uh, Protestant, Baptist, more than Jewish, yeah. there are more nuns. There are more nuns than everybody else. And that's not a comment on necessarily being spiritual but not religious. You no. can go to church every Sunday and be like, "I'm just not affiliated with the denomination." That's right. That's right. They could have said, "I just don't. Uh, I don't align with any one of those different traditions." Yeah. Um, uh, so, the, but it, so it could be similar to spiritual but not religious, but it might not be. So you might hear people use the term nuns mm. instead of SBNR to describe the group that no longer considers themselves to be affiliated. Yeah, which goes more back to the, my comment in the first episode about um, you know how it's a community of practice. We have decided we are we may be spiritual. Mm-hmm. We may have a we may have a belief in a higher power or a faith. But we we have we are we have moved away from a community of practice. I would say it like this: we have moved away from a traditional community of practice. Okay. okay. A, a traditionally determined religious community of practice, like a denomination or an ecumenical group, like a Judaism or so Islam. What about the people who say I'm Baptist but don't go to church? So I mean, Ooh, like I love that, yeah. So that's, or I'm that's whatever, wild. I'm whatever, and don't go to church because they are actually not a part of a traditional community of practice, but they're still identifying with something from their childhood they're or hard from their to, past. They're hard to find, right? They're I mean, not that they're hard that they're not out there, but they're hard to categorize in a survey because mm-hmm. they're saying they're Baptist, but they don't go. go. So you're not a part so of a community. You know? You're not a part. Yeah, you don't know. Yeah, and you don't know how to. Ca- so it's probably that your comment actually means it's probably a much worse problem in America than we think it is right now. Right, because people are going to say, oh, yeah, I'm Methodist. Some yeah. people are saying, yeah, because they're, what they're saying, that's interesting. Oh, oh, my gosh, that's so cool because some people are saying that they're they're ethnically uh-huh. Methodist. I mean, I say that about Baptists sometimes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> You're ethnically I'm, Baptist? I'm, I'm culturally, I'm culturally, culturally. Baptist. You know, that's so well um, said because it's not ethnic. It's yeah, cultural. and I happen to serve in I currently in a Baptist church, but I've served in non. And but I've always, even when I was in those other spaces, culturally I was like, Baptist. I'm culturally Baptist. Like a lot of people are culturally and Catholic. Catholic. I'm culturally, culturally Catholic, Catholic as well, and I talk about growing up in the Catholic city yes. and going to mass all the time. And yes. I do not. <laughs> I've never been a member of the Catholic right. church. That's right. You know. <laughs> so okay. So here, let me. I'm going to drop one on you. You're going to love this. So I'm meeting with Judy Schindler the other, uh-huh. the other week, and she's. Everybody knows her. She's a rabbi. She teaches at Queens and works leading the Stan Greenspan Center for Social Justice. And um, so shout out to Judy. And she used to be the rabbi at Temple Bethel. 
And she says to me, she says, you know, there are, there are a number of philosophers who believe that religion is a category that did not exist until Christianity. Mm. And I said, whoa, 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 wait, come on, tell, tell me that again. She said, because until the advent of Christianity, there were no non-culturally mm. and ethnically determined communities of practice and faith. Yeah. So yeah. you have this Christianity come along and say, no, 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 it's not about ethnicity. It's about a fo- ascent to this person following this man who mm-hmm. was Jewish, but is not. it's not about his Judaism, mm. right? And uh, and also because of the because of the schism between Judaism and Christianity, and Judaism and Christianity gets kind of kicked out or pushed off, and they themselves are also pushing away. Mm-hmm. Um, they get distanced from original Judaism. They don't seem they don't become a Jewish sect, which is what they started out. They yeah. become their own religion, a, a new thing that had not existed before, where people of different ethnicities are worshiping the same person trying to figure it out together. Mm-hmm. And there have been lots of scholars who describe this as sort of the move toward universalism, or and they describe it all in positive ways, right? Yeah. That Christianity somehow brought universalism to the world, you know, brought, you know, moved ethnicity away as the most dominant category, mm-hmm. was peaceful, and that it brought people from different ethnicities. All that's true, and biblically you can see some of that. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it also created a new category that had never existed before that then became the dominant category by which to determine all other non-categories. Mm. So now what we co- consider Islam a religion. And so it's the, the, those who have resisted this most are Buddhist and Taoist traditions. Taoism, mm. they refuse to describe what they Do are as a religion. As a religion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and yet they're categorized in the way a religion would be categorized, mm. not as like a psychology or an ethnicity or in some other category. So it's an interesting thing to imagine that maybe – Religion as a category only exists because of Christianity. <laughs> and then this sort of idea of religion itself is a kind of dominance. Uh, a dominant is almost kind of like a differentiator and a dominator at the same time. It, it comes on the scene. It gets defined as Christianity comes to birth. Mm. And then because Christianity becomes the dominant one, Christianity is the one that gets to categorize and differentiate what, what gets to be a religion is. and what gets to not be a religion. Mm-hmm. And the imposing of that on all other traditions. So you have like these African traditional religions exactly. that are now yes. covered up with in the Christian empire, right? So right. now you have like Nigerians who are Christian and also like Nigerians who like rejected that, who are just doing their traditional religion right. in quotations, right? Traditional, yeah, yeah. Their way of life. And we even call yeah. we sometimes you'll even hear them called indigenous practices. Yeah, which somehow, is yeah. Wait a second. What's 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 a non-indigenous right. religious practice? That yeah. means it's mission mission put. It's like colonialist. Yeah, it's, yeah. everything is colonialist if it's not indigenous, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can see how this becomes a form of power. Yeah, and I, we talked about in the first episode how some people call. Uh, indigenous African traditions that were brought over by kidnapped, enslaved folks. Mm-hmm. They call them spiritualities, mm-hmm. right? When, mm-hmm. when in fact, why wouldn't we call them religions? Yeah. You can see the dominance of colonialism then yeah. again. I mean, they, they, they will argue me down about voodoo not being a religion, and it definitely <laughs> it's totally, yeah. it's totally, a, if, if anything's a religion, I think or maybe a religion is the category that should disappear. I mean, maybe that's the thing. Well, yeah. We don't need that idea of religion religiosity or whatever that means. Um, I don't know. I, like, I liked the way you described it earlier before we started the podcast as a habit. Yes, it is a habit. I mean, when Practices you, that turn into habit, right? And when we're thinking about atheists or people who come to church who aren't, who don't identify, who come to our church in, in, in any way, yes. who don't identify as Christian, um, and they, but they come habitually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they participate in the life of the they church. They participate as regularly as or more than anyone who considers himself a follower of Jesus. Right. Every Sunday, every Wednesday. Um, and Or yet, I should say Christian because you can be a follower of Jesus and not, not, be, Christian. Believe, not yeah. be atheist and not be Christian. Yes, yeah. yes. Be atheist. And so I'm interested in kind of problematizing religion as a term with the big yes. R because small r is religion doing something habitually. I know. Um, yeah. So, Yeah. I think so. I would love to create a new term that I, I mentioned to you earlier. I think we should have a new term to to counteract the spiritual but not religious term. We should call it atheists who go to church. 
or atheists who are who are religious, atheist or, and religious. Yeah, or agnostics who. Yeah, yeah, agnostic and religious. Yeah, yeah, atheists who go to church. I mean, mm-hmm. that would still let's study that. Yeah, I'd be down for that. <laughs> you know, I'd be down. For Why that. do they go to church if mm-hmm. they don't believe? That's an interesting question. It's the same. It's just as interesting as those who you believe and don't, don't go. go. Right, right. Which right? is been the, we've been fixated on that group of people, but we're seeing a rising number of people who are yeah. interested in ethical communities. Right. They're interested in hearing something that that can um, inspire them or call them to action. Yes. And maybe they don't understand or don't want to understand or believe all the other sacramental things right. that kind of cloud all of that. Right? Well, there is a philosopher, I'm going to forget his name now, he's been on um, the Homebrew Christianity podcast a number of times, and he is an avowed atheist, mm-hmm. but he has created what he calls like an atheist church, where they get together, atheists get together and hang out because he understands the value of community. Mm. But they don't believe in traditional religion. Yeah. And they're not Unitarian. They're strictly, they're really atheists. Yeah. Um, they're not, like Unitarians, like all are true. No, they're like all are wrong. <laughs> all are not true. And yet yeah. we still want to hang out together and let's talk about life and sacredness and children. And, and he has sermons. He has atheist sermons that are given. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's really interesting. I'll, I'll find him. I'll send him so you can, we can put him up on the podcast. But I love that. I love this thing of community. And since we're here, I, I want to kind of talk about that a little bit. I, I was reading this article and I don't take this with a grain of salt. I don't believe everything that I read. And some of it, even some of the research is, as we've known, is problematic. So um, there's this uh, social worker who quotes um, a study done in 2013. Mm. Um, The study is done in in, in the UK and it's on religion, spirituality and mental health results from a national study of English households. Yes. And one of the arguments that, the people who did the study in the UK and the social worker are making is that people who identify as spiritual but not religious and don't have a community of practice struggle mm. when they have mental health challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, take it or leave it. But they were, they were mentioning that the, the, the point of this is not so much whether or not you identify as SBNR, but do you have a community of practice? Because there are yeah. people who are spiritual right. who, like, I meditate by myself. Um, yeah. But there's something about the healing that comes with a community of practice. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of womanist theologians talk about communal salvation and how you can't really heal without community. That's there right. is no salvation right. without community. And even monks who may sit in silence all day are doing it. Next to somebody yeah, else who's absolutely. sitting in silence all in day. Community. In um, community. And so I'm just curious about your thoughts about this argument. I mean, I know mental health is something that we don't talk a lot about in churches. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, it can be very it can be very sticky because people have various a, a wide range of struggles and challenges that we all face. But is there something to this? I mean, yes. the community piece. I mean, there's lots of studies about how people who are not who don't have friends and are totally isolated from family and friends and community at the end of the years die much younger. Like the death rate is so much, so much younger. And like, um, there's the, there's the, always that bunny study that I think is, I can't remember who told me this. I think it was Joe Parisi that there was this bunny research project done where they were doing research on bunnies and they had a, a, um, a woman who was doing the primary research and she was only, she was sort of short. She's like five foot tall. Mm. And so what she didn't realize that she was doing during the research was that all the bunnies that she could get to, she was petting and the rest, she was just administering the medication to or administering mm. whatever the test was. Right. And all the bunnies who she didn't pet died. Oh no. So you, what do you learn from that? You learn that we desire connection, contact, mm-hmm. just as creatures. Mm-hmm. We need, this is why you see schools of fish and that primates gathered together in very complex communities, actually. You can learn about that. Um, that penguins, birds, mm-hmm. um, there is this sense that creatures that are created or have innate biologically the desire and the need to be together in order to survive, for their own survival, mm-hmm. that they're, that and it's not just like in case you get hurt and I can help you. It's really just right. for their own health and well-being is determined by their participation in community. Mm. <clears throat> so what I would say is, regardless of whether a person is theist, an atheist, an agnostic, a nun, a spiritual, whatever, right. to find a community of practice, community, some kind of community, to be a participant in some kind of community 
where the purpose of the community is to care for one another. Right. Not simply to, you know, just drink beer or <laughs> talk about life or read a book in a book study. Like there's yeah. not care and yeah. that's always in every book study. There's in some there is. Yeah. Um, but to be a participant in a community of care and practice, that is, I mean, I, I don't even think it has to be religious practice. Like maybe what you do is you get together and you drink beer and you eat pizza and you uh, sing mm. and mm-hmm. then visit each other if, you, if you're in the hospital. Right. You know, like yeah. build your own community, right, if that's what you want. I mean, this is what the church was built for, mm-hmm. to be that community. And, of course, we know that the church is not always a perfect community like that. Sometimes it's more harmful than it is helpful. But it was also, I mean, I want to add to the it's not just like sing, but we're it's it's charging you to be a better person <laughs> to be a yes, better creature. I mean, there's something about, at least from the human perspective, okay. I don't know what the birds are doing, yes, but from, yes. <laughs> from the human perspective, there's this idea that we're going to mm-hmm. examine our, eth- our ethics. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it's not, it's even, it's even more complex than that. I would say it's mm-hmm. not just the study of Jesus and what Jesus said and what Jesus asked us to do and how we should then do it. It's not even just the, 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 just trying to figure out what's good and what's bad. Mm-hmm. It's it's there's a psychology element to religious practice and rights that is even deeper than some clinical behavioral psychology, which is that it is this idea that if you do something over and over again, it shapes and forms you as an individual, so that you are in the world in a way that you can respond when the going gets rough or at any moment. So mm-hmm. it teach it teaches us what human beings are. Uh, like the worship is not worship doesn't imagine that we are all uh, some of some kinds of worship does that we're all just thinking beings and that if we change our minds that we change our behavior. We don't. That's not actually right. how human beings work. Right. Behavioral change comes through habit change, mm-hmm. practice. Yeah. Practice and habit change and shifting your life around a habit. So if you want to, it's just like diet and exercise. Mm. You want to change your diet, you literally have to do that. Do and it. And if stick you with want it. to <laughs> lose weight or be healthier, you have to literally stick to this practice. Mm. And like if you want to get good at basketball, you can't just pick up a basketball. You have to practice mm. dribbling and practice shooting and practice wow. defense. And um that's what the communities were set up for to help you become not just good, but help you become a good follower of Jesus, one who actually follows. I always give the example of when I was in the army, you know, human beings have a natural unwillingness to kill other mm-hmm. human beings, just like all species. You can look at this up biologically. I promise you it's true, even though people like to kill each other. Um, so what, but and you, this is proven by the military because when you're in the military, you you are habitually trained to fire on command and to follow command without thinking. Mm-hmm. They don't want you thinking. Mm-hmm. If you think when you're getting shot at and bombs are going off and your friend's dying next to you, that you will not act, that you mm-hmm. will f- wilt into a, into a ball and run. So... You would go on the range and it would be ready, aim, fire, ready, aim, fire. And same things over and over and mm. over again. Training. And what they're training is they're training out of you your natural unwillingness to kill mm. so that you will kill when the time comes without thinking about it because otherwise you won't kill. And there's a whole book on this called On Killing by a professor of military science who studied all major wars in American history and found that in those combat situations – Soldiers, even with conditioned training, con- this what's conditioning really is what military mm-hmm. training is, it's conditioning you. Even when they were conditioned for 10, 20, 30 years before combat, they, soldiers would still find ways to avoid shooting at the enemy. So if one common way is your buddy gets shot first before you, you spend the rest of your time tending to their wounds. Mm. Um, they found civ- Civil War rifles that had 40 rounds of ammunition stuck in them. Wow. Where they had just gone up, not actually shot, put it back down, stuffed another round and gone up, shot, Mm. not actually pulled the trigger. Yeah. And those battles should have been like 15 minutes, but people were shooting just at a slight angle above their enemy's head, you know? Mm. Um, Like all these different things were found through this complex study that proves both, A, we don't really want to kill each other, Mm -hmm. and B... That um, that we it's we have to be so conditioned out of us yeah. to get to that point, and even when we are, we still will make these choices. 
So, so, e- so even in terms of like the conditioning of church. So this is what I think liturgical practice is. I think yeah. this, is what, this is what listening to a sermon or uh, singing a song or mm. praying in worship, confessing your sins, talk about a practice that changes you, <sighs> that a lot of people don't do and should, <laughs> a.k.a. president. I mean, excuse me, all of, con- all of Congress, all of Congress. Um, so I think you, know, you learn these things by practicing them, and then you mm. do they become part of your life. So like meditation is one of those ways you do that and you do that and then when things get emotionally struggle emotional struggle you have the capacity to go inward and do self-reflection yeah you, you know when you, when you make a mistake you have the capacity to say sorry because you say sorry every sunday when yeah. a lot of people in american society don't even know how to say huh. sorry you yeah. know you and so it's that formation mm-hmm. the rituals of formation and sometimes those rituals save us and i think i was talking talking to artemis about this last episode um, I, I've been reading um, Listening for God, Listening to God. Oh, mm. my gosh. Renita Weems, Dr. Oh, yeah. Renita Weems. Yeah, yeah. Um, and phenomenal book if you just kind of want a devotional, uh, Listening for God, you want a devotional experience. But she talks about there being pockets of her ministry where she um, just didn't feel like <laughs> She's just like, I just don't even feel like going to church yes. and doing communion. But it was the actual rituals that saved her. That kind of brought her back mm-hmm. to what she was called to do when she didn't feel like waking up in the morning and getting it done. Yes. Um, the, yes. the routine, the religiosity is what brought her back to her faith, mm-hmm. right? That re- being religious can actually bring you back to a place of faith. That's right. If you that's right. come from that place. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's one of those things where something like communion over many years of doing it and doing it rotely and then doing it with meaning and then doing it rotely again and then doing mm-hmm. it with meaning – you the, the it creates a layer of practice a layer mm. of layers of meaning yeah so whenever you take whenever i take communion now i'm tapping into both moments when i thought it meant nothing and moments when i thought it was everything yeah you know yeah and all everything in between yeah. and i'm remembering stories and services and people and and you're remembering other people's yes. other people's responses to that yes. right yes. which is happens in community if you only did it in your living room it, it sort of becomes you could you know but cloud of witnesses yes, right yeah. this is what they're all there you know you're i think about how many times my grandfather presided over communion as a methodist minister who's mm-hmm. now deceased and gone you yeah know? He's there with me at the table. Yeah. You know, all of our ancestors are there at the table. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, some of them need to start talking to each other. You know, <laughs> uh, there's lots going on there when you're at the table, right? Yeah. Like it's a. It, so I think, but that, that you could. It also could just be grape juice and a, and a wafer for it some people. It could be. It could be food. I mean, I used to be hungry in church. So I yeah. was so excited for bread, communion. Get up there. We had we had the little crackers. You know, uh-huh. the little nasty wafers. Yeah. For I mean, yeah. chocolate of Christ. <laughs> Um, it's, <laughs> At least we have real bread. Goodness. You do. We do have my mom. Funny story. Sidebar. <laughs> my mom has never grown up in a church where you, you did it like by intention or okay. you had holler yeah. or anything like that. So she didn't know what to do when she came here for yeah. Christmas Eve. And so she actually did not take communion one service because she did not know what to do. Okay. She's like, I've never had real bread for communion. Wow. <laughs> it was always a little Did little she think thing. it was a treat, though, after she did it? Did I, she do it the I mean, she, one? Uh, she didn't, I don't know what, she just, you know, it's uncomfortable when you're used yeah. to somebody passing you the wafer and yeah. passing you, anyway. But that's habit. That's her right, religious habit. practice. So right. getting up out of your seat and having communion is not a part of her religion. Right. Um, and so that's also always funny mm. to hear people's different religious practices. But um, as we wrap up this episode, I want to spend a little time talking about the decline of religion. You were mm. talking a lot about that in the first episode yeah, with the 80s, but also like, so what? I mean, I could just hear somebody be like, so uh, what? Church is done. Except for yeah. like, I need a job. So yeah, yeah. I would like for it not to be done. What does this mean what for happens? us? Yeah, it won't be done before I retire, so I'm in good shape. <laughs> I'm in good shape. And I'm, I'm, I really, really trust that. I believe oh, that. The, is that. I like believe a study there will or be something? a church okay. that will be there at least until I'm close. So, okay. But I don't think there will be many. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. there will be – when I retire, I, I don't know how many – what's that, 20, 20-something years from now, uh, there will be very few places mm-hmm. for people to work and in church life. <laughs> very few challenges, like full-time jobs in ministry. So I do think that – so a lot of people are talking about bivocational ministry, what's mm-hmm. the fu- church of the future, churches are being born. Uh, I do think that whatever this decline means, it will mean a radical pivot in a new direction. And I think um, churches so um, – churches are like the 
the aircraft carrier that takes a long time to turn around. Um, and so what will happen in most cases is the aircraft carrier will sink first before it can turn around. Ugh. And so I just think that that's true. I mean, we just need to get prepared for all that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's why we're working so hard as a church to make sure we're wrestling with all the contemporary issues because if we don't, then we're we're going to be blind to the, the, the fact that our ship is sinking. Mm-hmm. And that won't be because we did anything wrong. It'll just be because just that's what's happening the in the culture. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there is a so what. Like, so what? The church dies. Um, I don't know if we can predict that because I think that's a little dramatic. I don't know that the church will ever <laughs> truly die. I do think that it will change. I mean, the church was mm-hmm. has been in worse struggles in the Middle Ages and other times where the church attendance was pitiful, dismal, mm. major cataclysmic events, wars, yeah. plagues. I mean, the church has survived a lot. And I think I think people desire community and these stories about Jesus are and and the and the Hebrew Bible are filled with incredibly powerful and moving stories mm. that have a rich layered thousands of years of history of interpretation. Yeah. And I just think people will always want to deal with those stories and to deal with them in community and when you do that you're a church. That's my feeling. So yeah. I don't know if that'll mean wherever two or three are gathered. <laughs> some you know, may, it may some need of these to be churches that. may be small, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting you say coming back to Jesus because that's one of the things that um, Dr. Jim Wallace focuses on a lot. Um, And even as we talk about SBNR and the nuns and the atheists, and Jim Wallace has this wonderful quote. Um, He says, Christians in historical moments have often remembered, rediscovered, returned, and gone back to their obedient discipleship to Jesus Christ, both personal and public in times of crisis. It's called coming home. Mm. Now, this is the point that really Mm -hmm. is funny to me. He goes, even Americans of other faiths, and I'm adding, or no faiths at all, (laughs) hunger for this return. People who don't identify with any faith system wonder why Christians are not talking about the actual person and teachings of Jesus more and wish they would. Reclaiming Jesus is not merely about making more Christians as much as it is about making Christians more genuinely and redemptively human as God made us and as Christ calls us to be. Mm. That's from his latest book, Christ in Crisis. Yeah. Um, And I'm always just fascinated by uh, his candor, Mm -hmm. especially as it relates to other people wanting us to take Jesus seriously. He's like, this is not about Christians telling (laughs) Christians. Like every other faith in the world and no faith in SBNR, they want us to actually take it seriously. Maybe they would come to church if we took Jesus seriously. Right. Maybe. That's right. I think that's what's the joke. uh, Yeah. The Gandhi joke about it. It would be nice if they tried or if that would be a nice idea. Western civilization. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus also said, I love Jesus but I hate your Christians mm-hmm. or hate, I don't like his followers, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, I, I do, th- I think that there, it is something interesting about kind of returning to the, tr- the real teachings of Jesus. There's been these many movements like that mm-hmm. throughout history. Um, the reason I think that that's so hard right now is because everybody thinks they know what he said and who mm-hmm. he is. And when so many have already made up for themselves who they think he is and what he said, how do you free them from that so that they can see the truth of mm. what he said and did? I mean, that is the that is the rub for me and what I do every week and you and mm-hmm. so many other ministers who are trying to communicate an alternative vision. I also think that Jesus has been regularly divorced from his political and economic context and teachings. Mm. Jesus talked about money more than anything else. He never mentioned homosexuality. He never talked about abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, he talked a lot about the poor. He said he came for the poor. He gave mm-hmm. very clear about po- poverty, peacemaking, justice. Yeah. Um, but that's not how you would imagine Jesus to be portrayed in American no. culture. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, people already kind of imagine what they think. How, how do you get people to see what those things really mean without te- showing them that Jesus was political and yeah. economic in his focus and his teachings? Um, and perhaps that's why so many people, particularly in this country, and I would say probably the UK as well and some other places, are um, 
drifting away. Yeah. I'm just I don't I don't understand this kind of watered down. I wonder if you ask these same questions, are you spiritual, are you religious in like, you know, on the African continent and parts mm-hmm. of it, what mm-hmm. the what the answers mm-hmm. would be because mm-hmm. I don't think they'd be able to oh, it'd be uh, very different. Yeah, be very different. Um, there is a sense that spiritual but not religious is a kind of a new agey way of saying that I'm still connected to this divine source, but I don't, I, I just don't have patience for yeah. all that comes along with being a Christian in America today yeah. or any other organized religion for that matter. Right, right. Yeah. Hmm. It's interesting. If we, if we did go back to Jesus um, and it would take, it would, I think it would take a lot of people um, taking certain aspects of Jesus' teachings differently than they ever have before for mm-hmm. there to be a really new movement um, of, of, of people kind of coming back to Jesus and looking at Jesus. Yeah. Um, because it's almost like Barbara always says, why do you say so much about what the Bible says so little and so little about what the Bible says so much? Mm-hmm. It's the same about Jesus. Why do mm-hmm. we say so much about what Jesus said so little, abortion, homosexuality, and so little about what Jesus said so much, peace, justice, love. Right. Like, I, and poverty, poor people. You yeah. Know? It's like we, we focus on the wrong things. We're focused on the the wrong side of Jesus' teachings. We There's this cultural captivity. Jesus is locked. We almost have to, like, liberate Jesus. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Anyway. Well, this has been a fruitful <laughs> conversation. <laughs> Yes. Um, I thank you for tuning in. I'm so excited to welcome one of our, I guess, church members. Yes. Yeah. Andrew. Yes. Carmelani. Yeah. We'll be here on next episode, the final episode. And I won't even say much about Andrew. You just got to get to know Andrew when yes. Andrew comes on. I'm so excited. He's yeah. Um, Y'all are going to love it. Yes, he's excited. His family has been uh, really leaning into this community so powerfully, Mm. and um, I love seeing them around. And he's going to talk about his faith journey as it relates to this topic as well. Cool. uh, Well, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.